This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guests are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to RoboTalk's Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. Imagine producing enough food to be the world's second largest exporter of agricultural products, all off an area of land roughly the size of the Otago region. Well, that's exactly what the farmers and growers of the Netherlands have managed to do. No small feat. But what pressures has this placed on the environment in which the food has been produced? And how are those pressures being managed? I'm your host, Blake Holgate. And in this second episode of our Global Sustainability Insights series, we'll be examining the challenges and opportunities that sustainability represents to the farmers and growers in the Netherlands. A country Rabobank knows very well, given the bank was formed there 125 years ago by a group of farmers to create the finance needed to help grow food. And someone that knows a lot about sustainability in the Dutch agricultural sector is Manager of Food and Agricultural Sustainability for the Netherlands, Jen Nyberg. Jen, welcome to Growing Our Future podcast. Thank you very much, Blake. It's an honor to be here for to contribute on this podcast. Really nice. And really looking forward to our discussion. Um, look, before we crack into the, the nuts and bolts of it, we always like our guests to um, sort of introduce themselves. So yeah, tell me a little bit about your career and your current role at Rabobank. Sure. I will introduce myself. My name is Jay Nijboer. I'm a theme manager of sustainability for food and agri within the Netherlands. So specifically focus on the Netherlands. Just a small background of mine. I grew up on a dairy farm. So you can imagine that the uh, relation with the dairy farmers is uh, really big. My brother has uh, taken over the farm. So he still owns the farm. After studying agriculture, and uh, finished my study at the master's study in, uh, at the University of Greenwich in London. I started uh, my career at a uh, accounting uh, company. Then I just joined uh, Rabobank in 2001 and was their uh, relationship manager. So the conversations at the kitchen table with the farmers, and I think that is really necessary knowledge to have uh, to get a role at Rabobank in the Netherlands headquarters. My current role is uh, focusing on our sustainability performances of our clients for our portfolio because we believe to get a good perspective for the individual farmers we need to have a more sustainable production and how to do that so combining sustainability with business is essential for the perspective for the farmers in the Netherlands. And very much farmers here in New Zealand as well, Ian. Now, are you able to tell us a quick overview of the agricultural sector in the Netherlands, the nature and scale of it? As I alluded to at the start, you know, really incredible the amount of food you produce off the land area that you have. As you might know, we are the second largest world exporter of food and agri. Of course, we have our imports uh, of our big um, harbour, what we have in our Rotterdam, but Actually, if you compare the size of the Netherlands towards the biggest exporter of the agricultural products with the U.S., you can imagine that the small country as Netherlands is, we have a really famous name within exporting food and agri products. Within the Netherlands, and I have the numbers in front of me, in animal farming, we have about 17,000 farmers. And in the food services, retail, is about 10,000 companies what we have. 
And horticulture is about four and a half thousand because horticulture, of course, is a really large part in our country. Within the animal farming, most important sectors and by far is the dairy business. Within almost 15, 16,000 dairy farmers we have within the Netherlands, with an average size of 100 cows per farm. And of course, the animal farming with the sustainability challenges what we have, I think that is the biggest part what represents the Netherlands right now. Yeah, and are you able to elaborate on what some of those those key sustainability issues are facing um, Dutch farmers and growers right now? Well, the biggest thing is, of course, the focus is worldwide on carbon. As we take a look at the sectors where we as Rabank are responsible for is the horticulture and the dairy business. Rabank in the Netherlands has a market share of 85%. So that's a, that's a big market share. So we almost feel a responsibility. And for horticulture and dairy business, the carbon emissions, of course, is most important. But next to that, specifically for the Netherlands, it's about the ammonia emissions. And as we see historically, ammonia emissions, greenhouse gases, but coming up, water quality, but also the discussions about the use of chemical crop protection, the use of antibiotics and pressure on biodiversity are the most pressing sustainability issues in the Netherlands. On the other hand, I must say that we have to give the sectors, specifically also the dairy sector, really much compliments because we already reached a lot. Since 1990, the ammonia emissions are reduced with a number of 63%. So that's a lot. Also with greenhouse gases, reduced with 15%. Antibiotics use, so that says something about animal welfare, it's reduced with 64%. So you can see what the flexibility and resilience is of the sector, what can reach by just good management. Are we there yet? No, we have a lot of things to do, but that needs another way to get there. And we'll probably pick up on that later, but I'm interested on in what has been the driving factors behind those improvements to date. You know, what has been the motivation for farmers to make those, you know, quite impressive improvements over that time frame? Well, especially, of course, we have a large role in the whole sector with the, all the partners in the value chain, of course, in the dairy processes together with banks, but also with the industry, have some more rewarding systems to get there. So we have certificate schemes from on the way to planet proof, uh, focus planet from specific uh, dairy processor from Friesland Campina, who has a rewarding system to reduce specific indicators. And uh, well, farmers are willing to do that because I know specifically for the dairy farming industry, uh, a lot of farmers want to achieve goals if it is about sustainability, combined of course, with a business model. And if they can reach that, I think you can reach a real progress. Also, of course, innovations uh, within the sector also help with the reduction of the ammonia emissions and the carbon emissions. And of course, specifically, Operational management, improving operational management. There are a lot of things that can uh, challenges that can be faced to reach this goal. Yeah, I'm interested to pick up on, on one of the points there around the the supply chain approach because I think that's quite a an interesting and, and, and probably valuable insight. Are you able to elaborate a little bit around how the different players in the supply chain are trying to work together and collaborate to get towards those common goals that benefits everyone along that supply chain? Well, the, all the uh, dairy processors in the Netherlands are united, what we call in the sustainable dairy value chain. And also farmers are involved into that. 
also within Rauhbank, we are involved with that. Because from a farmer's approach, I think it's really necessary that we all speak the same language if it is about a sustainability standard. So with the partners in the value chain, specifically with uh, the dairy processors, together with science, uh, but also with an NGO, a worldwide fund, we work together on the development of a biodiversity monitor. And actually, a biodiversity monitor is more a sustainability monitoring system. So it measures using the data of what we call a central database where all the data is collected. For instance, the KPI, key performance indicator on carbon emissions, carbon footprint, ammonia emissions, but also about water quality, the nitrogen soil surplus, but also the use of grassland, the way you use nature landscapes and herb-rich grassland. All those indicators is a standard in the biodiversity monitor. Also, when you are able to produce enough protein on your own farm, so be less dependent on uh, protein from outside the Netherlands for soy import, for instance, because also the, the use of feed and protein, which is imported, has an effect totally worldwide on uh, nature or deforestation, for instance. These indicators are all a standard, so the farmers get rewarded for the fact that they make an improvement on all those indicators. So dairy processors, their payment system is based on that. So on the way to plan approve, Focus Planet is based on that. The same system is also used within Rauwbank. So uh, when a individual farmer performs well on sustainability, he also gets an interest discount. And that makes that movement towards a sustainable way of farming really interesting. To get to the euros, because that's that's one thing that farmers really are interested in. If an average size, what I mentioned from, uh, for example, that counts easy, uh, 100 cows with a total production of 1 million kilograms of milk, from the on the way to plant approving can uh, get at least 2 cents per liter extra. So that means a 20,000 euros each year extra. From a Rabobank perspective, he can get an interest discount depending on his loan, of course. He can get 2,000, 3,000 euros extra as a discount. And nowadays we see that more and more landowners or public authorities are able to get and give more rewarding. So that ends up into a income increase of 20, 25,000. But of course he makes also extra cost because he has to produce more sustainable. But it, this is attra more attractive and this is the idea behind it, that you get creating a multiple rewarding based on the standard. So a farmer really knows what to do and he gets paid for that. And that makes a change happen. Yeah, I really like the incentivizing and, and I suspect many of our listeners sure, will sure. as well. I also suspect the other benefit in there is, is obviously at some point those various partners have got together and agreed on what are the key performance indicators and, and what is it that we need to measure and what are the metrics around it, which I also think is really, really important because I suppose one of the challenges we have here in New Zealand is just trying to get some consistency or clarity around what they are. So again, are you able to elaborate a little bit around how you came to identifying those as the KPIs that are most relevant? That's one of the things because that's also the nice thing that I grew up on a farm. So I really know what a farmer needs are and the farmer needs uh, really... A simple system that uh, shows what he can create on uh, sustainability and he wants to get paid for that. Uh, so that makes a change happen. So that makes it really, really nice. So the first thing to get there 
was starting the coalition with it because I believe very much in coalitions because at the end, Rabank customers are the same as the customers, the clients, the farmers of the dairy processors. So we all have the same goal. So we got together and we said together from, because we started with creating the biodiversity monitor uh, by taking a look at who is the biggest land user and who can make the biggest impact in the Netherlands if it is about improving biodiversity. So we agreed uh, together with Worldwide Fund as an NGO and the biggest dairy processor in the Netherlands with Friesen Kapina. Afterwards, the union of the dairy processors, we had created a working session and we created a, a kind of a partnership and we developed together with the science, Wageningen University, a system. Uh, so we said the first thing, because we started, because we didn't know how to start, we started with developing, we thought the good idea was to create a biodiversity monitor by counting the variety of herbs, the variety of animals. And, but we came to the conclusion that was not a really good idea because farmers want to see and want to have influence on specific indicators, what they can improve and what can be seen. So we found out together with the university that it should be a really good idea that we create indicators which are having an impact on improvement of the biodiversity which can be influenced by an individual farmer so a farmer can adjust his ration or the use of nitrogen or he can plant trees so that's one of the things that farmers can do it's practical also was a challenge that we did not want to give farmers an extra difficulties with gathering all the data so we said we want to make use of existing data so that does not give extra work for the individual farmer uh, because the same data is used for a dairy processor, same data is used for Rabobank for measuring sustainability performances. And that's why we created the set of seven key performance indicators, which are can be influenced and where the data already is there. So that makes it easy to reward it. And the relation between all those KPIs and improving the biodiversity, that is scientifically uh, evidence for uh, therefore. And what is the motivation or driver behind the creation of the biodiversity monitor? The angle I'm coming at here from, is this in response to market forces? Is this the process of saying we've got customers and consumers that are, are demanding a certain type of improvement in sustainable production? Or, or is it to deal with the local challenges you've got or, or a combination of both? It's a combination of both. And I think that uh, because you have to see to um, face the facts that the biodiversity and our natural capital, the numbers show it that the biodiversity is declining. And what we see is that the natural capital is really necessary also for the agriculture. So at the end, on the long term, if we don't uh, conserve our natural capital, it will have a negative impact on the perspective of the farmers. And that's what farmers already see. Nowadays, I think you see already the effects of uh, high carbon emissions that it has an effect on the change of the weather. So more flooding and more droughts. So the effects for the individual farmers are there. So one of the thing of the indicators is, of course, the carbon footprint. That is also necessary for the change. But also I agree, Blake, that it is from the market demand, specifically from carbon emissions, that there needs to be improvement. And what I see is that we are more towards getting thinking to more integrated approach so that we just improve all our eco 
system indicators. Because nowadays, worldwide, I see that the focus mainly is only on carbon. And if we just focus only on carbon, that might lead to other risks. Because if you need improvement for that, that can have a negative effect on other indicators, like the use of uh, nitrogen or something. Because if you just produce more efficient, uh, that can be really positive for the production of carbon emissions per kilogram milk, but it can lead to other risks. Really uh, have an approach to have an integrated view on sustainability, so all the factors together. And the farmers, most farmers see that the change is needed. The market is not really there yet, but it's improving. But to need an improvement, it's a combination of both. If we take a look at improving sustainability, it has to be get together with improving the business model for the individual farmer. And that's the challenge that we have to face, get more economics and uh, ecology getting more equal to each other. And that's the way we have to, to go, but that, that's a challenge. And speaking of challenges, we've talked about the supply chain incentive side of the equation, but what about the government regulatory approach that is currently underway in the Netherlands? Because obviously that's having quite a significant and will have a, a significant impact going forward as well. And, and, and potentially that's you know more of the stick and less of the carrot in many respects. That has a lot of impact, of course. And again, it seems like the ammonia emissions in the Netherlands is more pressing than the, the greenhouse gases. And from the European Union perspective, as a Nether- uh, the country like the Netherlands is really intensive with uh, the way of farming. On the other hand, we are the most efficient producers of deer products from carbon perspective. But we have to face the fact that we have to reduce the ammonia emissions with another 50% needed by 2030. So that's, of course, I think you've noticed that that, uh, there's a lot of discussion about reducing the ammonia emissions from a government perspective. So that has an impact on the way uh, of farmers specifically for the animal farming, and then, of course, the dairy business. So we expect that it has a uh, can lead to a reduction of 30% of the herd size. So that's, that's quite a lot. That's a huge impact. So right now, the government uh, has introduced specific programs for farmers who want to quit to make it uh, attractive to get a payment from the, the, the government so that they stop with farming. And then, of course, there are many farmers who want to continue to make specific programs to replace their farm and to get them to other areas in the Netherlands so that the nature areas will be better conserved. Each individual province in the Netherlands has has its target to have a local approach to protect the nature areas and get a more extensive way of farming. That discussion is started right now, so you can imagine that has a lot of impact and the discussion within the government right now is, can we reach that goal in 2030 or is it 2035 that we have to reach? But the way to get there is really, really tough. And you can imagine that a lot of farmers in the Netherlands are not really happy with that because the, the lack of perspective, what is needed, because you go towards a more extensive way of farming, is more costly. So the, the lack of perspective is not there. Uh, so... In June, the government wanted to reach a what they call an agricultural agreement. And the, what is needed for the farmer is that they have to have a perspective. So rewarded for the nature elements. Unfortunately, the agricultural agreement uh, is not there yet. 
they did not get an agreement together with the farmers and the partners in the value chain together with the national government. It already has an effect last week that the current prime minister of the Netherlands is not there anymore. So we get in November, we get new elections. It does not change it. So there's not really a way forward. So farmers in the Netherlands still do not know what their perspective is. So there's a lot of uncertainty in, uh, in the sector right now. And I imagine that creates huge anxiety and, and, and again, something to some degree that our, our listeners and, and farmers, I'm, I'm sure, will relate to. I wonder if we can just quickly pick up on the ammonium issue itself, because I think that would be quite interesting to our listeners. So this isn't a, a greenhouse gas restriction. This isn't a, a nitrogen into the waterways issue. This is a, an airborne issue and, and affecting your nature areas. Is that correct, Ian? That's correct. That's correct. It's, uh, sometimes it's really difficult to explain into the society because we say it's it's a nitrogen issue, and nitrogen, of course, what you mentioned, Blake, it's uh, nitrogen is into the soil, and, and that's not specifically the challenges what we have to face. It's actually ammonia, ammonia produced as a gas from cows or from cattle, uh, but also nitrogen is also from industry, but then it's more the NOx, and ammonia, of course, is NH3. And that's the discussion what we are talking about. And the reason behind is that ammonia, the deposition, what it causes when uh, cows are in a barn, they produce ammonia, the ammonia gets into the air. Of course, in the air, there always is a certain kind of amount of ammonia, but if there is too much, it causes deposition on specific plants. And some plants grow really fast from ammonia. And it has a negative effect on plants who do not like that ammonia. So that causes a less variety in the amount of herbs into uh, the field. So you get really high grass grow, but it has a negative effect on herbs, which you would like to have in our nature. That leads to a declining uh, of a biodiversity in the nature. And of course, there's a discussion about how much that can be, uh, how it's measured. But that's the reason behind it, that the ammonia discussion is really big. And I think, again, this is really a single issue approach uh, because some nature areas, if we just solve the problem with ammonia emissions, I believe that the nature still is not uh, conserved because there's, there can be some other aspects what leads to declining of nature. That can be uh, droughts or other elements like the carbon emissions or the use of nitrogen into the soil. So we need to be more specific in uh, specific nature areas. What is really the problem? What causes the decline of the biodiversity? And of course, ammonia emissions is one of that. But we need to have, again, an integrated approach about what is really necessary to conserve the nature. Yeah, and talking about integrated approach, what does this mean from your greenhouse gas emissions profile, do you have pending targets and requirements to reduce? And presumably some of these changes would, would aid in those reductions as well if they go through in their current form, I'd, I'd imagine. Yes, they are, because we have exactly, we have targets for each indicator. So for carbon emissions, we have indicators. For ammonia emissions, we have indicators. So that's one of the really good advantages of the biodiversity monitor, taking into account the integrated approach and also thresholds and targets for each individual indicator. So that helps towards a more sustainable way of farming. At a national level though, Ian, do you have a, a national emissions reduction target like we have here in New Zealand? For carbon, you mean? or uh, We'd say greenhouse gas emissions, but yeah, for, for carbon. Yeah, 
We have. What is the degree of reduction that you're working towards? For uh, the greenhouse gases, we already reached 15% since 1990. And for uh, livestock farming, that means an other reduction of 25% that we have to reduce. Over what time frame? Uh, from now to 2030. Okay, 25% from now to 2030, which again is significant in, in and of itself. That's significant, yeah. And always, is, of course, the first step is really easy to get, but the next step to get that goal is much more difficult. Same problem here, right? Yeah. You, you, there's, yeah. a, there's a number of practices and, and things you can do to get some of the low-hanging fruit, and, and it gets significantly difficult and, and much harder after that. But to reach that end, that's really, really difficult. Absolutely. I'm wondering, and taking into account, there's still a lot of uncertainty, obviously, in that regulatory approach and, and an election coming up, but what are some of the potential impacts of these proposals going to be on, on farmers and, and growers in the sector? You know, presumably, from a production level-wise, there's the risk that it has a significant impact on the ability to produce at the levels you've historically produced at. Would, would that be correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. And what I said is it's about a 30% reduction uh, probably from our herd size. So that has, of course, an impact on the production of milk. On the other hand, producing more efficient, that can not le- has not to be lead to a 30% of production, uh, less production in, in milk. Because there are ways to uh, get uh, more innovative, uh, to get more um, produced milk on per hectare. But I think it has an effect. Of course, there are some possibilities of, for innovation. We see there are a lot of initiatives from partners that uh, have created systems for ammonia reducing uh, uh, reduction in, in barns. Also, that leads to a discussion if these uh, innovations really, really uh, lead to a reduction of the ammonia. So there has to be a proven and has to be enough evidence. That's a discussion with the government where we write into. So it's really necessary to measure the ammonia emissions on farm level so that uh, there is a lot of evidence that the innovations will work because there last few years there been, has been a lot of innovations about uh, floors, barn floors, with a positive impact on ammonia emissions, but later on, uh, new evidence said that was not really reliable and did not lead to. So a lot of discussion about that. I think is really necessary if you have technology, innovations, the evidence, which is also complies with the government, is necessary to make the ne- next step. On the other hand, there are so many other ways in changing operational management towards more sustainable farming, because within Raubank, we did a, a small research and so have seen what the most high-performing sustainable farms, dairy farms specifically, financially perform. And we see that the highest score on sustainability also show really good financial results. So I think there's a lot of things to do in the really good operational management to get that, to do that step. So that creates also possibilities. So there is opportunities here, right? The individual improvements. Yeah, sure, sure. And I think in better operational management and also getting a system that rewards sustainability, so the multiple rewarding from partners in the value chain, including the bank and the government who creates a new perspective, all those things together will lead to a new perspective. And that needs to be clear because the willingness to make a change towards a sustainable way of farming, I'm sure it's there. 
yeah, probably just looking for that clear pathway and, and, you know, maybe a consistent approach between the supply chain and regulators and governments all working in the same direction together and arguably here in New Zealand at times that, that's not always the case and, and possibly that, that's the experience you have over there at times also. Yeah, that's great. Are the, the Netherlands looking to leverage sustainability in the marketplace? Uh, you know, given your focus on it, given the development of supply chain approaches, do you see increasingly going forward at, at something that products, particularly for New Zealand, we're probably interested in your exports, is it something you would look to leverage with the products you're exporting? Can you be more specific on this question, what you exactly mean? Probably from a branding perspective, looking to extract value from the market by branding your products to be at a higher level of sustainability performance compared to other producers around the world. I think that the demand of products which have a low carbon emissions is is really a high demand. Uh, we already see that companies like uh, uh, Nestle uh, and Danone, which are processors in, in Europe, which have a really important uh, role, that they are really into the scope three approach that they have to report about their emissions and specifically of carbon. So I think that it is necessary that for to keep the license to produce, at least you have to have a reduction on carbon emissions because otherwise, uh, and that's already been paid for, for uh, reducing those emissions. So it's that's necessary. And what I expect that will happen the same also for ammonia emissions, also for soil quality, also for water quality, so that you get a multiple uh, rewarding system based on more integrated approach of more indicators. But nowadays we already see that uh, the carbon emissions and reduction of that, that already pays. So that, that, that helps. And if you create a system like that, also for the other indicators, that might help to um, get a better perspective. And I think that uh, in the Netherlands, there is already a highly efficient way of producing the milk on a with low carbon compared to other countries. And I think that will be a competitive advantage. Yeah, look, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts around, you know, the risks for a country like New Zealand, you know, and, and we still export a lot into the EU, for example, and we've got our own sustainability issues. Is there a risk that we, if we don't sufficiently address the issues here, that there starts become uh, challenges around moving into that, that EU market? You know, Dutch farmers could argue that they're having to go through significant pain and that other other producers around the other world should be held to a similar account. Is that a risk if we don't continue to maintain um, our levels of performance? At the long term, I, I think so, because nowadays they are already talking about it. In the Netherlands, we, I think, uh, 30% of our own production stays in the Netherlands, so 70% is uh, exported to different countries within Europe. But if you just create a sustainability standard only for in the Netherlands, that would only solve the problem for 30% if you just uh, have a, a higher standard, which is necessary within our Dutch retail. You can imagine when you want to create a more equal level uh, playing field, I expect that the European standards about sustainability will also be there more common. Uh, so that protects also from importing products who do not comply to the sustainability standards of Europe. So that can be influenced. And of course, and when New Zealand does not have the ability to produce on those standards, that can be more tough to introduce the, the dairy products into Europe. I can imagine that. 
Yeah, it's certainly something I think we're very conscious of and, and we'll be continuing to watch. Um, look, probably at, at, a, at a point we're about to wrap it up, but I suppose ultimately to summarise, what do you see as the major risks and opportunities that sustainability does represent to the Netherlands agricultural industry? One thing is that, and that is changing, I think that uh, farmers, they, of course, when you farm, you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to reach some targets. You want to reach a goal. And I really uh, trust on the farmers that they can reach that goal. What I see is a huge risk. And then I take a look at the government and their approach is more based on measures. So a new law, uh, new measures, and that will not help and not stimulate farmers to improve the quality and towards a goal. So Raubank is really a, a promoter of reaching goals because each individual farmer has to decide how to get there and how he does it does not matter. But he has to find a way. And I think that's a huge risk when we just uh, keep on going with new laws and new regulations that will not stimulate that. And I think at the end, that will not lead to a better sustainability performances. But because the most knowledge about uh, sustainability performance is at the farmer itself, because he knows what to do. And if he wants to reach a goal, he can do that. That's one, one of the risks. And other risk is that the consumer will not be able or is willing to pay for that. So I think it's really necessary that there are minimum sustainability standards in, in Europe to start with so that farmers get paid for the extra effort what they have on sustainability because this is necessary. Business model is necessary to create a better performance on sustainability. Thank you very much for your time today, Yen. Look, I, I think it's very interesting what's happening over there and, and, and certainly many of your messages, particularly your summary, will resonate with, with New Zealand farmers who can probably empathise to some degree and, and share their concern and experiences with what the Dutch farmers are, are going through. I mean, what, what I really do like, though, is how you have been proactive around that supply chain approach and going, you know, there is an opportunity to take an ownership of it to some some degree of, of the issue and challenge and really looking at through that incentivization lens. How can we put money back in the hands of the farmers who ultimately is all ending up on, right? The, the, the ask is on the farmers to do all this stuff and that comes at a cost. So what are the solutions to provide some financial incentives to compensate for that? So look, thank you very much. I'm sure we'll stay in touch and, and, and particularly keen to hear how in the short term at least some of these challenging proposals evolve over time and I'm sure as you always do, you will find a way through and, and through you know innovation and, and efficiency you will continue to evolve how you produce food and, and do it very well. And I think Rabank is a cooperative bank who was started because you, in your uh, introduction, you already mentioned that 125 years of experience there already is. As a cooperative bank, uh, we want to create a better perspective for our farmers. And I think that Rabank can play an excellent role together to start a coalitions with, in, also in cooperation with partners in the value chain to reach this goal. And I'm sure of that, that Rabank can play a role in this. That's a great message to wrap up on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Rabotalk's Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rabobank can support you to succeed in the future, please go to rabobank.co.nz.